You're listening to the feed. This is the feed. This is the feed. The feed. You're listening to the feed. In Markham. In Richmond Hill. You're listening to the feed in Vaughan. In Stouffville. In Woodbridge. In Unionville. This is the feed on 105.9 The Region. I'm Ann Romer with York Region's only news magazine show dedicated to the issues, events, and stories that matter to all of us who live and work here. Today, home for the holidays with Ross Petty. Nielsen Fitness goes virtual to keep its clients and employees and how the second wave continues to affect our anxiety levels. But we begin with the COVID-19 vaccine. Health Canada approved the Pfizer vaccine earlier this week, a stunning milestone in this country's fight against COVID-19. The rollout of vaccines and the roll-up of sleeves will begin here in Ontario on Tuesday. Joining us now with a vaccine update and what we need to know as we await its distribution is Dr. Alana Fitzgerald Hushek, Associate Medical Officer of Health York Region. Thank you for being with us on the feed. My pleasure, Anne. How important was it that Health Canada approved the first vaccine, Pfizer vaccine? This is just fantastic news. Um, Here in York Region, as elsewhere in Ontario um, and across the country, we're really, really pleased to hear this announcement. We've been waiting for this. We've been preparing locally um, for quite some time, and it's fantastic news to hear that this is the first COVID-19 vaccine that has been approved for use here in Canada, and it really is a turning point in our fight against preventing COVID-19 spread in our communities. There are several other vaccine makers in the queue. Moderna, I think of, AstraZeneca, Johnson & Johnson, and perhaps others. That must be encouraging as well. It is. You know, we do know that uh, there are three other vaccines that are going through the same careful review at the federal level, so with Health Canada. And we do anticipate more in the future in hearing this. And I think what it what it really speaks to is the recognition of how important this vaccine is and that a number of uh, partners are working on developing uh, a vaccine or, or different vaccines for COVID-19. And that's recognizing that there could be different technologies and, and ways of doing this. York Region Public Health, how have you been involved in the vaccination studies, Uh, for instance, Health Canada, would they share the information that they looked at in order to say, yes, we approve, say, the Pfizer vaccine? Would they share that with public health across the country? So information, uh, as Health Canada would be looking at its approvals um, and going through the rigorous uh, review, um, information is made uh, available in terms of what the regulatory uh, response is um, and things like the safety or the um, effectiveness and the efficacy of these vaccines. And part of that is it's important for everyone to know that there are really, really rigorous uh, you know, reviews that are meticulous and in-depth that do take place. Um, and that's for all the different vaccine candidates that are being looked at. And it's important for the public to know and be able to trust in the review process and the science and the checking of these vaccines and to know that whatever comes to, through approvals is safe and effective and has been carefully reviewed. So then look at the specifics about a particular vaccine. Who was it studied in? And for the Pfizer one, for example, we know that uh, Canadians should know that if more than 44,000 individuals are adults in the clinical trials, 95 were protected. 95% sorry, were protected against COVID-19. And that's where they looked at it in, in an adult population and looking at it, you know, two doses and finding that it was very effective in protecting those who received it against COVID-19 infection. Dr. Fitzgerald Hushek, why do you think vaccines are so important and how do you explain to the population and to the people of York Region their importance to help reduce anxiety about vaccines? A survey came out earlier this week saying that only 55% of Ontarians would be willing to have a vaccine, be inoculated if it was available now, which means just a little under half have said, "Mm, I'm not really sure about that. We know 
at public health in public health here, immunizations are one of our safest and most effective ways of protecting individuals and families and communities um, from vaccine preventable illnesses. We've had great success with other immunizations protecting people and keeping our communities safe. So this important work on finding an immunization for COVID-19 is a fundamental cornerstone in addition to the other uh, important public health measures to help keep people protected. Um, public health is in the business of prevention. So while it's really important to have you know, appropriate treatments for those that are sick and do contract COVID-19, you know, it's great if we can prevent that transmission from occurring in the first place. So things like a vaccine and immunization can help prevent someone from, um, you know, getting that ill, getting COVID-19. And it's also important to note, we can't forget about those other really, really important public health measures about things that we've been talking about since the beginning, the physical distancing, wearing a mask or face covering, staying home when you're sick and practicing good hand hygiene. And the last thing I want to add about the importance of immunizations uh, and, and this amazing, amazing announcement that the Pfizer vaccine, the first vaccine has been approved, is that does give us another tool in our toolkit about helping keep our population safe. And we know that after the vaccines get administered, we also have a very strong and robust monitoring system for vaccine safety in Canada. And that will also help, you know, on an ongoing basis that we continue to monitor. We know we, the vaccines were safe and effective coming out of the trials with over 44,000 adults in the clinical trials for the Pfizer vaccine. And there's continued monitoring and vigilant surveillance afterwards as well. And also paying attention to the signals that are being sent out around the world. For instance, the Pfizer vaccine, Pfizer sent out a, a note, an alert after the first inoculations saying that people with severe allergies might not be at this point ready for or safely ready for the Pfizer vaccine as a result of some of the reactions with those early inoculations earlier this week. So one thing that can happen is very rarely, but on occasion, there could be a more severe and allergic reaction. Um, and that's why it's usually indicated for, for COVID-19, this Pfizer vaccine, as for um, other immunizations, that if someone may be allergic to a component of the vaccine, then generally they're um, recommended not to get that vaccine um, on the, in case of having a reaction. It's also important to note that the vast majority of people only have very minor side effects. Um, if anything, so something like what you might have with another uh, immunization, sometimes a bit of pain or tenderness at the infection, at the injection site and the like. So the vast majority have very minor, if any, uh, uh, reactions to the vaccine. But once again, this is something that continues to be monitored for on, in the event of one of those more rare um, uh, side effects that could potentially happen. Let's talk about the challenges that you face when it comes to the vaccine. You know, we have heard about and read about cold storage and how very cold it must be. Transportation, just the mere thought of trying to get it from coast to coast to coast is challenging. What are your challenges with York Region? So here in York Region, we have been preparing and planning for quite some time. Now that's within public health, within with our other partners within York Region, with our healthcare system partners, uh, with hospitals, uh, with the ministry and, and provincial partners as well. And that helps us in terms of gearing up, thinking how do we work through it and the logistics of having this particular vaccine, the Pfizer vaccine, that does require a colder storage point, so around minus 70 Celsius, which is different than our other vaccines. So we know that with our planning and with our work coordinated with our other partners that we'll be able together as a system able to make sure we can appropriately help receive and distribute and get people immunized so that these important immunizations are getting into people's arms. We do know that there will be more challenges with having this these first vaccine, the Pfizer vaccine, that needs that very cold storage. And we do hope and anticipate that some of the other vaccines in development that may be used more broadly and down the line, they may not have those same cold storage um, 
uh, uh, requirements in the same way. And that's as well because there are different types of vaccines and different types of technologies that are used. Let's understand the priority population. So who's in line in York Region to get the vaccine first? When we look at how these decisions are made about priority populations, at the federal level, there's a National Advisory Committee on Immunization, or NACI, which is a long-established body that actually gives the recommendations for a prioritized approach, and that's recognizing, um, you know, we want to make sure uh, that the most vulnerable um, will be able to get those earliest doses. Um, so NACI recommendations, and then following from the provincial guidance or uh, the provincial government that helps set this, um, and then York Region would be following this. What we do know is those first few vaccines that we do anticipate coming soon um, will be prioritized to uh, vulnerable sectors such as long-term care uh, residents or staff or, or congregate care settings such as that, as well as um, other healthcare workers such as in hospital or hospital employees and the like. We also know that for early prioritization as well are um, uh, those in Indigenous communities or remote communities where there may be an elevated risk of transmission. And then after that as well, we do know about adults, you know, uh, that are older in age or maybe uh, recipients of uh, home health care with chronic issues. So it's this prioritized approach that comes from the federal and our provincial colleagues that we follow here in York Region. And important to note that these are the early doses coming out, but there is a staged approach that is being uh, looked at and was announced by the province, and that eventually every resident in York Region would be offered the opportunity to get this vaccine. We just have to make sure that uh, we're following the due process and getting those higher-risk priority groups the vaccine as early as possible, and then making sure that everybody has it when we have enough vaccine available there. Hmm. The vaccine, it seems to be a light at the end of the COVID-19 tunnel. Thank you so much for explaining things and, and putting our minds at ease. Dr. Alana Fitzgerald-Hushek, Associate Medical Officer of Health York Region, really appreciate your time on the feed. My pleasure and thanks for having me on today. Coming up, getting back on the fitness track. This is the feed on 105.9 The Region. Do you have a story idea for the feed? Call us at 416-335-1059 or email info at 1059theregion.com. Ann Romer and more of the feed coming up. This is 1059 The Region. Welcome back to the feed. I'm Ann Romer. While at least one of the COVID-19 vaccines has been approved by Health Canada, the pandemic is far from over. Afwa Ball with details of a new survey on the erosion of the mental health of Canadians. As we continue to go through the second wave of the COVID-19 pandemic, it is safe to say that COVID-19 continues to have a great impact on the mental health of Canadians. So today I'll be speaking with Dr. Deanne Sims, Clinical Director at CMHA, York Simcoe, and we're going to be talking about a recent survey that shows just how greatly our mental health has been affected during the second wave. Dr. Sims, thank you so much for your time today. Thank you. Happy to be here. What are some of your key findings in the survey that's been made by CMHA on mental health and wave two of COVID-19? Well, we sampled thousands of people across Canada, aged 18 and older, um, really in the window of September where the second wave um, was starting to really increase. And we found in our responses that as the pandemic drags on and on, Canadians' mental health continues to erode. And we know that this is true for Canadians in general, but certainly um, we know that most vulnerable populations um, are feeling an even larger impact. And then on that note then, what is it about wave two that we're seeing more people struggle right now with their mental health? So we know that about... 60% of people who had a pre-existing mental health condition are struggling right now. We know that 40% of Canadians who did or did not already have a pre-existing mental health condition are struggling. And we see that as this pandemic wears on and on, and as there's shifts and changes in isolation and uh, distancing orders, 
we see that there is an intensification of feelings of stress and anxiety. And we also see more and more of the impact of the mental and physical consequences of isolation really starting to wear on our population across the country. Based on these results, is this right now raising a red flag for doctors? Yes, absolutely. I mean, we know that as the cold weather approaches, as the days get darker and longer, and certainly as more and more people are removed from their social networks, from their friends, family, workplaces, a lot of people are suffering in silence. And oftentimes we have networks or people around us who might give us a nudge to say, hey, you're not looking quite yourself or, you know, I'm noticing that you seem a little bit more irritable. We have less and less of those cues these days while we isolate, while we shelter in place, et cetera. And so within the healthcare system at large, we certainly appreciate that there is a need. We have to do better, work harder to extend the reach of services and support to really start making a difference at a population level. I wanted to talk a little bit about parents. What about the mental health of parents right now, especially during wave two? So we know that parents have been hit particularly hard. We know that even from the early days of the pandemic, when a lot of parents went from parenting and caregiving to also being um, homeschool teachers and caregivers and having their children in the house with them all day. Um, Even though there's been a return to virtual and in-person schooling, there is still this looming threat of, uh, you know, the health and safety of children, their academic needs, their social needs, etc. You know, parents are concerned. We know that from our sample, about 13% of parents have had Um, suicidal thoughts or feelings. We know that about half of parents are worried about finances and um, two in five parents are worried about their own job loss and putting food on the table. Um, So we know that parents are struggling most certainly and it's, it's, it's this chronic struggle that that seems to be mounting for a lot of the the people that we we surveyed for this study. And then along with parents, of course, thinking about their children, then we also think about the children and the mental health struggles that they're going through. What about the mental health of children, high school students, and even post-secondary students during Wave 2? Yeah, we have some early signals that children and youth are struggling as well with worry, with sadness, and some of those Um, feelings of isolation that you talked about. So we know that there's concern uh, about safety, concern about the health and safety of themselves and of other family members, and then also just that real uh, disconnection from peers who are so very important in the lives of children, youth, and young adults. So we know that certainly our youth are not Uh, immune to some of the impacts that we're seeing in our adult uh, populations that we're we're, um, asking these questions of. What are some subtle yet unhealthy coping mechanisms that people are using right now to cope with this pandemic and specifically during wave two? So we know from our surveys that some of the unhealthy coping that is taking place is that uh, Canadians are starting to increase substance use as a way to cope. So we know from our sample that about 20% of folks surveyed had increased alcohol use. We know that people are increasing um, not only the amount of alcohol that they're using, but also um, there's been changes to the time of day that alcohol is being consumed and the number of substances uh, that individuals are using. Um, and so we know there's also been an increase in cannabis use, prescription medication use, etc. And then we also hear about unhealthy behaviors, including overeating, lack of physical activity, etc. And we know that it can take a while, just like you said, if, if we're not immersed in these social structures that we typically would rely on to sort of give us a nudge to say, hey, you know, I'm just noticing that this this seems to be uh, a little bit of a sticking point for you right now. It can be more difficult when we're isolated to really have insight into some of our coping behaviors that historically might have been okay for us, something we use every once in a while, but currently 
might be creeping in on the corners of our life, might be uh, used more frequently, or um, might have consequences that they, they otherwise didn't historically have. Dr. Sims, what are some of the things that people can do right now if they're even not ready to reach out for help? But what are some of the things they can do for themselves uh, to help improve their mental health? Well, we know that connection is so deeply important as a buffer against some of the symptoms and experiences that we've been talking about. So we talk about connection to self and connection to others. So connecting to oneself is really um, digging deep and getting back to those self-care routines that matter and that help to keep your tank as topped up as possible. We know from our survey that about 54% of people are exercising outdoors, and this is going to be crucial over the coming months. So making sure you've got the gear and you've got um, a way to get outside to move your body in a safe way on a regular basis. Then we also know that connecting with family and friends um, is important. And we've seen a bit of a decrease in that from the first uh, survey that we did to, to now. We see that people are using technology to connect with friends and family a little bit less. But we know that that's going to be so important, especially over the holiday season, to make sure that even if it's not um, the same traditional way that we used to see our friends and family, that there is some meaningful way that we're reaching out to and being in touch with important others in our life, because those are the things that are really going to help to carry us through over these next few dark months that we have ahead of us. Dr. Deanne Sims, Clinical Director at CMHA York Simcoe, thank you again for your time today. Absolutely. Thank you so very much. As we continue to speak about mental health, Markham Stouffville Hospital has announced that they have received a multi-million dollar donation from a generous couple that will be going towards improving mental health services at Markham Stouffville Hospital. So joining me today to chat about this donation is Suzette Strong, CEO of Markham Stouffville Hospital Foundation. Suzette, thank you so much for your time today. Pleasure to be here. Awesome. It's our pleasure to have you. Okay, let us know about the donation that's coming to uh, MSH. Well, thank you. I really do appreciate the opportunity to share this with the community because this is a time where we really do need good news. And the donation from the Nanji family certainly comes under that category. It's a phenomenal, transformational gift. As you said, it's multi-million dollars. Uh, to honor and respect the donor's wishes. We're not being specific about the amount, but you can imagine in order for us to name our mental health services program at Markham Silva Hospital, it has got to be a very, very significant multi-million dollar investment. Uh, and it's truly philanthropic of the Nanji family to give us this gift at this time. It's almost like perfect timing. We are ending off the year, the season of giving and all of this is sort of coming together like a perfectly wrapped gift. What items, <laughs> equipment and programs will be funded now thanks to this donation? So this donation is going to really touch on every area at Markham Stovall Hospital. But as you mentioned earlier, there'll be a significant portion of this donation having a direct impact on the patient care that we provide to our patients in mental health. So um, I think that is to honor, again, how we're naming um, the, the, the mental health services program after Goshan and Virani Nanji. It's to reflect that. And it's also because they know how significant this need is now more than ever. So we're going to use some of the funds to enhance our psychiatric emergency services. It means we're going to redesign and dedicate a bigger, safer space in our emergency department. Uh, for patients who come in in crisis and require psychiatric emergency services. If you can just maybe touch on how important this donation is right now, and has the hospital adapted their facility to treat patients requiring mental health services in light of the pandemic? Absolutely. So we've always been a leader in regional care when it comes to mental health, and so we've always had a full gamut of services, and I'm happy to say that when the pandemic hits, they, uh, the team at Markham Stovall Hospital, the mental services team, pivoted immediately so that the patients who were relying on us regularly for regular care didn't miss a beat. So what you're talking about, the surge in demand and needs, is on top of an already incredibly full and robust series of patients uh, that rely on us, programs and services, et cetera. But you're absolutely right. With this pandemic with isolation, 
with people having economic, financial, home life issues, we're seeing the demand literally go through the roof on all of our programs and services. It's really phenomenal to have seen our mental health services uh, manage to pivot and, and continue to provide the services that we need to give these people who rely on Markham Stovall Hospital. And it's such great news to hear about all of these programs that are right here available in the region. And then on that note, if anyone is finally ready to step out and say that they need help or they would like some help, where can they go for more information specifically if they want to, you know, get some services from Markham Stovall Hospital? Well, if they're not in crisis, uh, my first recommendation would be to touch base with their family doctor. Their family doctor can help them navigate. I'm really glad you asked that question because it's more important than ever that they come out and get the help that they need. And it's one of the reasons why I think that this gift from the Nanji family is phenomenal. Absolutely, Suzette. And especially during this time, uh, it's such great news that should be highlighted and that should be recognized uh, that such a generous donation is going a long way to help others that um, are going through tremendous difficulties during this time. Suzette Strong, CEO of Markham Stouffville Hospital Foundation. Once again, thank you for your time today. A pleasure and thanks for helping us share this great news with our community and all your listeners. We appreciate it so much. Stay safe. Companies big and small have changed how they do business because of the pandemic. Jim Lang with the Fitness Pivot. Now more than ever, fitness has become a crucial part of our lives. Countless stories, countless studies, countless scientists have said to keep us mentally strong and healthy through the pandemic, we need to be physically strong and healthy. And who better to talk about it than someone who's really taken his game to the next level, the CEO of Nielsen Fitness, Paul Nielsen. Paul, how are you? I'm fantastic. Uh, it's it's a great concept, your company. Um, it's helping people work out at home. And that's one thing in a regular day. But since March of 2020, it's become more important than ever, Paul. Absolutely. For our physical health as well as our mental health. Now, how soon into the pandemic did you notice your business for you and your trainers spike and go up in, I guess, request and demanding your time? Well, with the lockdown in early March, we had to buckle down and figure out a solution because we were no longer allowed to go to people's homes. Plus, it was unsafe for me or and my team of trainers. So we had been working out the idea of uh, improvising a virtual solution in this year. Uh, however, we had to put it into the fast track. And uh, by the time the uh, lockdown hit in early March, uh, we were ready to press play and go. But what I really like about what you're doing, and I, and I follow you on Instagram, is taking simple items that people don't realize that can be effective in training, whether it's body weight exercises or bands, simple things that don't take up a lot of space if you live in a small space and you can stay fit and healthy. Absolutely. You do not need any equipment at all, Jim. Um, the way my trainers and I like to think is that our bodies are our machines. And there's so many effective tools in everyone's home, whether it's a can of soup or uh, I was even discussing with a client Epson bottle container once it's empty, fill it up with water, and then you have your homemade dumbbell. No, I've worked out for a long time. Explain this, the can of soup. What, what do you do with that? Well, there's so many things you can, whether you're working on your shoulder muscles for posture oh. or toning your triceps or simply wanting a little bit of extra weight as you're jogging on the spot and want to raise your heart rate. Now, are you finding that, uh, I guess, people are more in tune with what you're doing, but people realize I have to stay physically healthy so I can A, possibly ward off the potential COVID, but also keep my mind healthy that there's, I really want to hear what Paul and his team are doing at Nielsen Fitness because it's better for me, not just now, but the long run. Yeah, that's absolutely right. When people are stuck sitting, which they often are now, especially working from home, our, our body becomes in a much more frozen state. So my business is always thought outside of the box. First, it was outside of the big gym box by bringing personal training to people's homes. And now it's through virtual personal training. Um, so it doesn't take much. It takes maybe just a couple of 15-minute intervals every day to get our heart rates up and our bodies moving. So they're warm, just like a piece of toffee. If you keep it in the freezer, it's going to be frozen and stiff. Hmm. And our brains are going to become foggy and, quite frankly, cranky if we don't move our bodies and become active. But if we warm them up through physical activity, our joints, our back, our neck, our hips are much looser and freer. Our endorphins start to release through our bodies. We feel so much better, sharper and clearer in our minds. And it makes us much better as human beings, whether you're a parent of two young children or, or a grandparent. 
speaking with Paul Nielsen, the CEO of Nielsen Fitness. And the other thing that comes to mind when I think about what you and your team are doing, Paul, is for a lot of people, there's an intimidation factor going to a big fitness center or a big gym and that comfort, the privacy of working it at home without any judgment. I think it's important for a lot of people. Yes, it is. Um, People just love the convenience. They don't need to travel anywhere. Um, whether it was with in-home training or virtual training, they simply log in using a great tool like FaceTime or Zoom and just have a, a space, uh, as little as five by five foot area. And then we, we'll take the creativity from there. Again, using things like a footstool, an ottoman, um, and just simply the body weight to, to get a great fully customized workout. Well, the one thing, I mean, I've discovered through your Instagram is the wall sit because my daughter is in grade 12 and her and I work out every noontime as she has a awesome. break in her day. And that wall sit, they've just leaned against the wall and like, it's not easy. Yeah. And, and uh, Jim, here's a tip for you as well. You can change the width of your feet. Oh. So you can go a little wider or you can go a little more narrow. And also the distance of your heels between the baseboard of the wall plays a big difference. So if you experiment a little, you may discover different variations in how you can effectively work the front of your thighs, otherwise known as your quads. And I have to say, uh, our, our youngest daughter, she's in grade 12, and it, it can be trying not being with their friends and not having the social aspect of school that she enjoys and just doing everything online. So we find a get home around 12, 12, 15, uh, usual on the weekday, and then we do our home workout downstairs, and we do body weight exercises and core exercises. And it, I find it's making me healthier, but I'm, I'm finding I'm able to bomb with her. Otherwise, I wouldn't be able to have that time. You know, it's funny you mention that because my daughter, she's nine years old, and we work out together as well in our basement. Um, it, it is it's an incredible way to bond. Um, you were also talking about sometimes the isolation of, you know, teenagers or even young adults or even people in general can't go out and socialize the way they used to. We found by uh, putting together people in small group exercises virtually, there can be two to five people who all have the similar body types, fitness goals, and we can get them socially interacting, exercising together, albeit in their own homes. Oh, that's brilliant. Uh, you get more details at nielsenfitness.com and follow them on Instagram. Paul Nielsen, the CEO of Nielsen Fitness. Uh, post-pandemic, I don't see this going away. I, I find a lot of people have gotten in the habit of the daily exercise, realize I can do it. It doesn't take a lot of my body. It's good for me. And I enjoy the comfort of not having to schlep around sometimes and just do it in comfort of my apartment or home. Yes, you're absolutely right. And we have a tool we found has worked very well for our clients over the years. Uh, it's called the Habit Tracker. It's very simple, and I'll be sure after this uh, interview to post it on the NielsenFitness.com website, and you can download it for free and print it out or use it digitally. And it's a little tool where you write out what your goals are. So it could be something like drink four glasses of water every day or stop drinking coffee by noon or exercise for 20 to 50 minutes a day. And the can, client can simply just check off on the sheet every time they achieve it. And it's a great tracker and a great way to reinforce new healthy habits. So that's all to provide free to all your listeners. Outstanding. So go to check that out, nielsenfitness.com. The one thing you, you brought up a couple of times, and I think a lot of people would be interested, that you keep talking about 15 or 20-minute intervals. For, for some people think, well, I can't exercise. I don't have the time. 15, 20 minutes, there's no way you don't have 20 minutes in a day to do a little bit of exercise. Yeah, or even you know every, every hour, just stand up. If there's stairs in your home, Go up and down the stairs, even if it's just once. It all makes a big difference. It helps, again, activate your heart rate, your respiratory system, loosen up any knots or tight spots that may be developing in your body. Um, another great tip, since we're talking about sitting and not being very active, is uh, using a Swiss ball or a stability ball, as it's otherwise known as a chair, instead of a regular office chair. And what's the benefits of that? Well, it's fantastic because it actually makes you think while you're sitting. Um, if you're not thinking, you simply slip and fall off of oh, the ball. Of course. So eventually it becomes a habit, sort of like driving, Jim. Yeah. As you're, you know, when you're driving, you're just automatically thinking about it, but you're not realizing that you're thinking about it. So by sitting on a ball, you're actively engaging your core muscles, postural muscles, everything from the neck all the way down to your toes. So our clients, or even people we've given the balls to, they find that the, their posture is better, they have more energy, they're less stiff and tight. And, and that little simple add-on to their daily lifestyle makes a powerful impact. 
Outstanding. Paul Nielsen, the CEO of Nielsen Fitness. Get more details at nielsenfitness.com or the Instagram page. Paul, I could talk fitness with you all day because you speak common sense when it comes to being healthy and fit, and it's something we need in the fitness industry. And uh, continued success, and thank you for keeping us healthy through the pandemic. Oh, it's my pleasure. And I'd just like to, everyone in York region and beyond, we do provide virtual training. Unfortunately, we've been able to service all through Canada from the East Coast to the West Coast now, very much due to virtual training. And that includes you. So if you're interested in a complimentary consultation and a mini workout with Nielsen Fitness, please check out our website. We'll be happy to help. Well said. Thanks, Paul. All the best over the holidays. Thank you very much, Jim. Next on the feed, a tutoring program to help students who are learning online. Tina Cortez with that story. Education is one of the many sectors forced to change because of the pandemic. Students are learning online, in classrooms, routines are disrupted. Support programs for students are needed now more than ever. Joining us to discuss this further is Brian Wilford. He is chair of CTL Education and Resham Veniak. She is the program administrator. Thank you both for joining us on the feed. Brian, can we start with you? Tell us about CTL Education. For those who don't know, what is it? Well, CTL Education originally was to be bricks and mortar in, in overseas in places like Vietnam, Peru, and Nigeria. But because of the pandemic, we took our Canadian curriculum and put it online with partners such as Zoom. And it provides both tutoring and courses for students using the STEM. And is it still only for international students, or is it for Canadian students as well? It's definitely local students, and we have an international flair. Okay. And Russian, what supports specifically do you provide students, and how do they access it? So uh, we are uh, providing education support to grade 9 and 10 students, and uh, this covers all their major subjects of the, pertaining to the Ontario curriculum. We have uh, floated this through, our, uh, through the virtual system, the in-house build technologies, and we have an assembled team of educators and support team. And Brian, I'll, I'll ask this question to you. There are those who suggest that online teaching and learning is not in the best interest of the student. What do you think? Well, given the, the current constraints with the pandemic, I think we've all had to adjust uh, our thinking and our approach in terms of online. And yes, what is important here is that for, for educators in particular, we are looking at students as individuals and providing on the basis of how do they learn. So we actually set up a focus group beforehand with teachers and parents and uh, students to get the best out of those individuals so that at the end of the day, we are adapting to their needs rather than the other way around. And Resham, how many students are in the virtual classroom? So uh, we have restricted the classroom size uh, up to 15 students uh, per session. But uh, yeah, we have started off with about 10 students at the moment. Well, that's a, that's a terrific size. And, and Resham, I'm going to ask you as well, how does a parent or a guardian monitor or make sure that their child is not falling behind? How do they stay on top of it? To uh, elaborate on that, in fact, uh, yes. It is a primary challenge at the moment for the parents to know how their child is progressing. And in order to overcome this challenge, we had actually launched out this system. The students are being given an opportunity to interact in the virtual setup as well. And uh, they are being assessed through a lot of online assessments, which our educators prepare for them. This helps us keep us on the cards as to how their performance and progress is developing through a period of time. And Brian, how does CTL help local communities and local students? Well, we have a couple of what I would call social responsibility uh, roles here. One is for frontline workers. We are, in fact, offering a program. We know how, how stressful it's been for families, particularly those nurses, those on the front line who have been doing such a significant job uh, during this time. And for their young people, we are providing at no charge opportunities for them to learn online and to take advantage of CTL education. And Brian, you know, the pandemic has forced everyone to learn and work differently. Do you think we're, you know, we're ever going to go back to the way it was in terms of the brick and mortar school and classroom? 
to to be honest, I don't think we will we will go back to the way it was uh, in total. But I do believe that bricks and mortar are very important. And whether we're talking banks or whether we're talking education, at the end of the day, we need that social contact. People need to be able to interact. And that, I think, is really critical in this time, which is why uh, you may see a blend of the online learning as well as the, um, the bricks and mortar. But certainly the bricks and mortar will not be the same as it is today. And what are you hearing from parents and students? What do they think about the current situation in terms of education? So uh, the parents and the students, they are of different uh, opinions all across. Um, They are happy to have it virtually at the moment because of the existing challenges. And uh, I would say that they are even liking what we have floated out for them because they are given an opportunity to interact, which otherwise you miss, miss in a virtual setup. And Brian, what about the instructors, the professors, the teachers? What are they telling you? Certainly, uh, they are very much engaged with their students, and they are they are noticing again uh, that students, particularly if you're doing a one-on-one or or just a couple of students, um, that their the feedback has been that they are they're engaged. They feel that they are being listened to. They're being able to prov- ask the type of questions that they wouldn't be able to do currently because of the uh, situation in schools. So that, that excitement is, is important. I believe that passion is very important, not only from the educators, but also from the students. If we can get students to really get excited about a particular program or a particular theory or whatever it is, uh, then we've done our job. And Brian, do you think that's one of the few positives to come out of this pandemic is that we are engaged once again, that we have to find new ways of learning and listening, and and maybe this is inspiring those who maybe were in a bit of a rut? I, I would say those words are extremely important. We want to inspire students. We want them to be able to get the most potential that they have um, out, and in order to do that, the instructors listen very carefully to what the students are saying. We make sure that we double back with parents. And I think at the end of the day, what we are finding is that education is on a new plot, a new, a new, um, new level, but a new level that I think will give uh, the teachers and the students a, a better sense of purpose. For too long, unfortunately, it's been very much a rope method, and I think a lot of people... Uh, uh, have become complacent, and now we've all had to adapt, I think, in a more uh, constructive and certainly in a very positive way. Absolutely. Resham, if our listeners want more information about CTL education, where can they find it? You can always contact us at contact at the rate ctledu.org. I'll repeat, it is contact at ctledu.org. Thank you both for joining us on The Feed. After the break, Ross Petty is home for the holidays. This is The Feed on 105.9 The Region. Follow us on Twitter at 105.9 The Region. Ann Romer and more of The Feed after the break. This is 105.9 The Region. The pandemic has forced all of us to approach everything in life very differently. But in the case of Ross Petty Productions' annual holiday show, that's a good thing. Using his creative vision and tapping into his passion for the theatre, his innate respect for children and his zest for life, Ross Petty is about to launch Canada's number one interactive virtual holiday party, There's No Place Like Home for the Holidays. The driving force, the marketing genius, the theatre impresario, the very talented actor, still a kid at heart, Ross Petty, joins us now on the feed. Thank you for being with us. Well, thank you, Anne, um, and what a lovely introduction. I'm, I, I feel... Um I feel honored. Thank you. Well, it, I always tell the truth, and I know you know that. So, <laughs> I know that. Ross, you and your production company had to pivot big time to bring your annual holiday show to your adoring audience, comprised mostly of kids. So when did that light bulb moment take place for you? Well, and uh, just to begin, you know that this was going to be our 25th anniversary year at the Elgin Winter Garden Theatre, 
Um, and of course, when COVID hit, uh, well, everything in the world shut down. Um, and we thought that we wouldn't be able to do anything uh, live at all. Uh, we got the idea to do a virtual show um, in the end of August, basically. And over the past three months, uh, we have put a brand new uh, a story of, of the sequel to The Wizard of Oz in place. And uh, that's what we're offering as a virtual production this year. So interactive, that is a key word when it comes to this production. So tell me how that works virtually. Well, absolutely. The, the uh, children and the adults that have come to see us for all those years at the Elgin know that they have to boo the villain and cheer the hero and sing along uh, in the live stage version. But, of course, uh, we have to still... Uh, instigate the fact that sitting at home, watching from the comfort of their sofas, that they will still be participating with the actors on screen. So we have uh, all the actors encouraging the people at home. We have uh, graphics on the screen to say boo and cheer and sing along. And uh, it's uh, everybody is always uh, encouraging the folks at home to be part of the action. <laughs> I went to your website and had fun looking at the three steps. Now, step number one, get in touch with your holiday party planners. Number two, choose from a long, very cool list of experiences you would like. For instance, the Santa Claus experience, magic shows, interactive dance parties, juggling comedy shows, interactive parties, boxes being delivered to your home to enhance the experience. So how does that work? Well, those, uh, that was an original list of things that we were offering to, to folks. And um, basically, uh, they can choose or have been able to choose. Uh, I think the cutoff date has already gone by as far as the choice because we have to edit the show together as far as uh, whether it's going to be a dance troupe, whether it's going to be a magician, whether it's going to be, again, uh, the wonderful, talented Roberta Battaglia, who, as you know, Anne, was the uh, young Canadian singer, 11 years old, who won fourth place on the NBC TV series America's Got Talent. So you can certainly choose Roberta as one of the guests uh, on our show. And I think a lot of people are going to be tuning in for Roberta. So step number three is the final result. So what exactly do you think will be the final result on December 19th and December 20th, the two dates that the shows will air? Well, the final result is going to be um, our brand new version of the sequel to Wizard of Oz, as mentioned. And by the way, it begins with Dorothy in Oz, and she is trying to figure out how to get home for the holidays. We all know how Dorothy got to Oz, but do we know how she got home? We are going to tell you how she got home for the holidays. So with that uh, and our major stars from our pantos and years gone by, uh, starring in that uh, storyline, plus our single acts and Roberta Battaglia, um, that is what is going to be the outcome on December the 19th and the 20th. So because this is virtual, it will be shared by kids and their families, people, at a specific time and date, and the dates are the 19th and the 20th of, of December. So people will watch together, but from their own living rooms. Is that correct? Yes, that's correct. Um, people will be able to go to my website, rosspetty.com, and they will there see uh, the way that they can access uh, a family ticket which is $35, which is, uh, I think, a fair price for an entire family to be able to sit in the uh, comfort of their own homes to see the show. They will then receive a Vimeo link and a specific password to their own particular usage, and that is how they will be able to access the show. Is it safe to say that this will be a way to reach families and children from coast to coast to coast in a way that when you were at the Winter Garden Theatre at a theatre in the city of Toronto, it would be full to the brim, but there were limitations. So will you be reaching more people by doing this virtually? Oh, absolutely. You know, I, I never like to think about the fact that there's a silver lining to what this horrific COVID uh, scenario has been for the world. But, I mean, for our purposes... Uh, indeed, as you suggest, we can reach the entire country of Canada. And, you know, we've had six of our shows as television specials in the past. 
on CTV, CBC, and the Family Channel. And through those uh, methods, we've been able to reach Canada. Um, but this particular virtual show on the 19th and 20th of December be able to reach the entire country as well. So a quote from your website, each holiday show is, quote, a kooky theatrical pantomime based on a fractured fairy tale with cross-dressers and pop culture humor. Whoo, that's a lot. That's loaded. <laughs> well, yes, we, we have all of the above. <laughs> and, you know, let's, let's uh, zone in on cross-dressing. Um, people who have seen our shows know that there is always a dame, in quotations, in our show, and in this particular uh, production, we have Dan Shamroy, who's a major, major star in this country, and particularly at the Stratford Festival, playing his iconic role of Plumbum. <laughs> now, Plumbum is a cross-dresser. Um, and uh, Dan, by the way, was the star of Rocky Horror Show at Stratford, which was their biggest selling show ever. So I think people are going to be happy to see Dan be back in uh, our production as Plumbum. <laughs> How do people get tickets? Uh, they go to rosspetty.com, and uh, that is virtually the main and only way to get tickets. Check out my website, rosspetty.com, and it will be very well explained, and we look forward to seeing everybody on the 19th and the 20th of December. You are wonderful. Ross Petty, there's no place like home for the holidays. Thank you for joining us on the feed. It's my pleasure. And, and the other thing I want to say is that we, uh, with There's No Place Like Home for the Holidays, realize it's a very difficult time for kids who aren't able to go to school. They aren't able to see their friends on a regular basis. So with our show, we are also helping kids help phone uh, with the proceeds from our show. I wanted to make sure that uh, people know about that. You see, I knew you were wonderful. <laughs> Ross Petty, uh -huh. thank, you thank you so much. And Thanks. all the best to your beautiful wife, Karen Kane. Thank you, Anne. I will pass that along. And good luck to you and happy holidays. And to you as well. Thank you. Well, that's it for the feed. Thank you for listening. We leave you now with sounds from Ross Petty's There's No Place Like Home for the Holidays. Oh, there's no place like home for the holidays. Shine.